Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. turning to the book of Esther. We have been in a Esther series for, well, 12 weeks. There's been some interruptions along the way, but uh, this is part number 12, and uh, we're going to tuck Esther in bed tonight with Esther 9 and 10, and uh, it's not that I'm moving quickly through. 10 only has three verses, but uh, I don't think with any of these series that I necessarily try to run through them or necessarily try to prolong them. It's just how things fall. And I really thought maybe I was going to have one more. But much of Esther chapter number 9, some of it is quite repetitive as far as talking about the days when they celebrated uh, Purim or Purim. It's according to what what your culture is (laughs) but uh, nonetheless I want to talk about it tonight I'm going to read quite a few verses probably what I'll do is I'll just read a few and let you be seated all right someone's already saying hallelujah in their spirit but I'll pray to probably just read a few verses and let you be seated and I'll continue reading the rest and we'll dig into it amen at least allow me maybe the first yeah I don't know five huh stand with me for at least five all right on that day did the king whoops get in the right chapter that always helps now in the 12th month that is the month adar on the 13th day of the same when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution in the day that the enemies of the jews hoped to have power over them just everything that we've been looking toward right though it was turned to the contrary that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people. And all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and the officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces. For this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Thus did you smote all their enemies with the stroke of the sword in slaughter and destruction, and did what they would unto those that hated them. I'll pray, and then I'll continue reading. I want to talk tonight kind of under this heading, How the Tables Have Turned. How the Tables Have Turned. 
Amen. Father, we come to you tonight. We're so grateful, Lord, to be able to be here, Lord, in your house. I pray, oh God, that you're able to touch our hearts, Lord, afresh and anew by the word of the Lord. God, that there are life lessons and truths, Lord, from your word that we can apply to our everyday lives, Lord. I pray, God, help us to look and read your word, Lord, with those type of eyes. God, as we do, in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. You may be seated as I continue with verse number six. And in Shushan, the palace, the Jews slew and destroyed 500 men. And just for the sake of pronunciation and that there's 10 of them and just to save you and save me. Verse 7, 8, and 9 list all the names in verse number 10. It tells us the 10 sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha and the enemy of the Jews. Slew they, but on the spool laid they not their hand. On that day... Uh, Just so you know, I jumped from 6 to 10, okay? On that day, the number of those that were slain in Shushan, the palace was brought before the king. And the king said unto Esther, the queen, the Jews have slain and destroyed 500 men in Shushan, the palace, and the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Because that was just in Shushan. We have, what, 126 other provinces. So wonder what happened there. Now what is thy petition? He speaks to Esther. And it shall be granted thee, and what is thy request further? And it shall be done. Then said Esther, if it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews which are in Shushan to do tomorrow also according unto this day's decree. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. And the king commanded it so to be done. And the decree was given at Shushan, and they hanged Haman's ten sons. And so what we have here, this is uh, chapter number 9 and 10. 10 again, just three verses. It's really short. So, But chapter number 9 is really what everything has been leading up to. About nine months prior to this time, uh, was whenever the Jews was given the okay to defend themselves on the 13th day of the 12th month because a decree had been written uh, through the hand of Haman with the king's signet and the king's signature that on the, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, that the Jews were going to be slaughtered by their enemies. And about nine months prior to this moment that we're reading of now, Uh, Mordecai has written another decree that said that the Jews could defend themselves against their enemies. And so uh, both sides, no doubt, has had ample time to prepare for what was going to happen. The enemies had time to prepare to uh, come up against the Jews, but now uh, the Jews also have opportunity to prepare for their own defense, to defend themselves from annihilation by their enemies. And everyone, it would seem, according to the word of the Lord, everyone except the Jews decided uh, if they were going to fight. What that means is this, the Jews only fought to defend themselves. Uh, They didn't just go out fighting and picking people off just innocently, but they only fought to defend themselves. And so what everybody else needed to consider was this now because the game has changed since the original decree. Now they know who Esther is and who Mordecai is. They know that they're Jews Right, And so they know that the people that they're going to attack are really the people of their queen. And Mordecai, this man who is now second in command, if you will, uh, to Ahasuerus, the king himself. And so they got to start asking themselves the question, do I really want to pick a battle with the people? 
that our queen belongs to and that the man second in underneath the king that he belongs to do I really want to fight against them yet on the other hand we have then the Jews again they've had about nine months to prepare very adequately for defending themselves and so tension I imagine for that nine months could be cut with a knife around Shushan, around the other provinces, uh, as each prepare or not prepare or decide what they're going to do whenever that date comes of death and destruction. Who, who Whose side are you going to be on? What actions are you going to take? There's probably a lot of tensions that are, that are taking place. It must have been a little bit unnerving on the same regard uh, for the enemies of the Jews and the Persians. It must have been a little unnerving for them that whenever uh, Mordecai had written that other decree how the Jews could defend themselves, that in all the provinces these Jews are like, yay, you know, joyful and happy and celebrating when there's not been one sword thrust yet, not, not one attack that took place yet. It must have been a little unnerving to think they are joyous just to know they can defend themselves. Who are these people? Right? They have a sense of confidence about themselves that they can defend themselves and they're already celebrating. I mean, they're already got the whistles blown, the ticker tape, if you will, going in the air to defend themselves. So the Jews did undoubtedly have a certain amount of confidence and that, that is perhaps shaking some of the Persians. For one, the Jews, those that are truly living the life of a Jew, know the power of their God. They know that old, old testament promise to Abraham that I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you. They understand all of that. And so, but this, this didn't end uh, as their enemies had planned from the very beginning when the first decree was written. The Bible even says in our text tonight, in verse number one, that the writer says it like this, though it was turned to the contrary. As we might say in modern day language, the tables have turned. The tables have turned. McConville, a scholar, said, he said, in a world uh, from which God appears to be absent, as we've seen in the book of Esther, no mention of God, there doesn't seem to be any prayer that has taken place that's recorded that we have record of, yet in a world which uh, God appears to be absent, he is nonetheless present. And that is the reason why there is truly a turning of the tables in the book of Esther. And so Esther and Mordecai, of course, they are involved. They are involved in the turning of the tables, but they are not the ones that are the authors of this grand scheme of the changing of the tables. They're a part of it. Uh, and I hate to, I hate to identify them as this someone, this could be really skewed, but they're pawns on the table, so to speak. Choices that they've made and actions that they have done, God has incorporated that into His plan to work things for the good. As Roman tells us, all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. But He's, He's using their choices and their decisions and uh, their efforts and their lack of efforts, both sides of the coin, uh, to, to use for the purpose of his master plan. He's using ordinary events like we've seen in chapter 5, I believe it was, the sleepless night of a king, right, to come into play and, and help with the decisions of the people and all this working toward what in the end is the Jews' good. And so no one concerning the enemies of the Jews, none of them would be successful in their defense against the, or their defiance rather against the Jews. We read the record of Esther. It doesn't tell us 
It doesn't tell us that any Jews died. We don't have any record of any Jews died, but we do have record of Persian deaths. We have no record of Jew deaths, but we do have record of Persian deaths. And the Bible says that the fear of all of them or the fear of all of the Jews fell upon all the people, all of Persia, all of the empire. And we looked at this word fear last week just a little bit because the Bible said that the people feared the Jews and many of them were converted. Many of the Persians were converted to Jews. They feared the Jews. And fear is kind of a two-sided coin in Scripture. There's some instances that fear is that, that idea of fret, that idea of being afraid and dreadful and terror. And then there's the other side the sense of awe and a sense of a, a a healthy respect and the word fear in scripture actually actually has a root word that it can mean both dread or all either way and so i believe when we look that the fear fell upon them yeah there's no doubt a certain amount of intimidation a certain amount of fright that came uh, unto them but i believe also there was a sense of awe a sense of respect. They had seen what had happened, amen, to these people, to these people, even like Mordecai and Esther that was in the hierarchy or in, 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 in the government rows of their own kingdom. They've seen how, how Haman had tried to take the life of Mordecai and it didn't work and now Mordecai's in, in Haman's position. They've seen all of this. They noted all this. So yeah, there's probably a little fright, but mixed with that, there's some awe. There's a respect, a reverence uh, for these people people and so the fear of them of the jews fell upon all the people and uh, their enemies are experiencing dread and and just respect dread and a sense of all because they they have they have they are staring in the eyes right now in the eyes of people that generations before like the egyptians tried to take them out but they're still here Right? They're staring into the eyes of people that have celebrated victory before, I guess is what I'm getting at. They're staring into the eyes of people that's overcome some difficulties and some hard times of their home nation almost being taken out before. They're staring into these same eyes, and the only reason why they can do that is because they survived. Uh, and so you, they are attempting... Those that had the courage, if, if you want to call that courageous, uh, those that are attempting to do this on this day, to snuff out the Jews, they are attempting to do what other people before them had attempted to do and failed. So they got to ask themselves the question, what makes, th what makes them think they're going to be successful where other people have failed as far as taking the Jews off the map? And for that matter, from that point of time, even forward, Hitler couldn't do it. Huh? All the others throughout history that have tried to snuff them out, couldn't be accomplished as we look through our whole history, amen, of the world backward. And so the people not only are, are fearful of the Jews, but the Bible says that they are also, they also fear, amen, Mordecai. There's, there's a, res, a dread and a fear, a dread and a respect for Mordecai as well because uh, Mordecai is in this row that he has power now under a Hazarus, but he's a Jew, Right? And the Bible says, since these people had this type of awe and respect for Mordecai, that the Persians, and you look at it in your Bibles, the Persians were helping the Jews. Huh? They're, they're, the, the Jews are supposed to be slaughtered on this day. The, some of the people that were going to slaughter them, they, oh, how the tables have turned. Instead of doing them harm, they're seeing what they can do to help. 
They're seeing what they can do to help them defend against those that are coming after them. And Mordecai is a great man. The Bible says that he waxed great and he was going to wax greater and greater. And this was known all throughout the empire. I mean, whenever he came out uh, last week in his robes and of royalty rather than sackcloth, everybody is cheering, they're clapping, they're whistling, woohoo! you know, Mordecai. And so we have all this stuff that's going on. And, and they've seen, they've seen the path of Mordecai. They've seen what he's done in that kingdom. He knows, they know everything that's taken place. They know the reputation that he has and what has taken place. And so here they are. But when we look at all this, things really have went backward then in the book of Esther. They've went backward. Because as we come to the day that is mentioned here, which would have been, uh, the, the, the 13th of the 12th month, amen. Things have awfully changed. Because when we first started Esther, Esther is a little skittish of the Persians. She's in awe of the Persians. And so what does she do? She seeks to imitate them. Now the tables have turned. She claimed her identity, who she is, a Jew. And now the Persians are somewhat in awe of Esther and her people. And what do they want to now? They're trying to help. They're seeking to emulate uh, the Jewish people. And some, as we said last week, some even became, they converted to Jews. Others helped defend them. And so it's like they switched sides. They went out to war. Amen. Being a Persian going to fight against them. And they jumped across the line and said, no, we're going to help fight with you. And so the tables have turned. And so lest we get the wrong impression tonight, we need to define one thing in verse number 5. The Bible says that the Jews, in verse 5, close to the last phrase, the Jews did what they would unto those that hated them. Lest we get the wrong impression of that statement, someone might go away and say, well, we could misinterpret that. So well, the Jews did whatever they wanted against them. They weren't just defending themselves. They went out with, you know, malice in their heart, and they just did whatever they wanted to against the people. Whatever they desired against their enemies, they did. Amen. And you might believe that they didn't just defend themselves, but they said, oh, you know, didn't even take... I, he's, is he attacking me? Why, bam, you know, just take him out. No, it wasn't that type of scenario. It's not that they attacked without being attacked. It means that they did as they liked. They did as they desired. They did as the decree that Mordecai had prescribed, as he had made, as he had said. Look with me, if you will, because when Mordecai first wrote this decree, he created it as he liked, according to Scripture. That's what King Ahasuerus gave him leeway to do. You can look back at Esther 8 and, and verse number 8, and this is the word that Ahasuerus spoke to Mordecai. He said, write ye also for the Jews as it liked you as it pleaseth you as you want therefore when the bible says that the jews did as they liked it means that they did as it was decreed because he decreed it according as he liked it and desired it so that was to defend themselves and the bible says at the end of this first day of battle in the the city of shushan that 500 500 persians lost their lives along with the 10 sons of Haman they lost their lives as well and again if anybody wants to stand and recite their names verses 10 uh, 7 through 9 we'll allow you to do that this time but I'm sure no one wants to necessarily go off trying to say the different names of those 10 sons talking about the tables being turned everything that Haman had that he bragged about you remember the brag the brag session that Haman had Everything that he bragged about to his wife and to, to people of, of his household, 
he has lost. In chapter 5, remember after first he learned he was going to be going to a banquet, had been to a banquet with the king and Esther. He went back home and he began to brag to them like, I'm all that and the side of fries, you know. And he told them about his riches. And he's telling his wife this. If you'll remember, remember, I'm like, he's telling her something she already knows. But I guess most husbands tell their wives things like that. I don't know. But nonetheless, <laughs> okay. He told her about his riches. He told her about all of the children that he had. And he told her about his promotions. Those were the three main things. Look at it. The tables are turned. All of that is lost. Last chapter, chapter number eight, his estate has been given to Esther. There's your riches. Now, all ten of his sons are dead. There's your children. And, talking about promotions, who has your position now? Haman. He's dead already, of course, but Mordecai has that position. Mordecai's not dead, but Haman is. Mordecai has his position. The tables is turned. Everything that he bragged about now isn't within his own power and he's hung on his own gallows amen to to top it all off and so whenever the king though heard word that 500 people were slaughtered in shushan and we're trying to gauge it it seems like he's not appalled it's almost as though he's intrigued 500 has been slaughtered well i wonder how good they've done in the other provinces you know we can't always say that king hazarus has been like you know the top guy here with his mind sometimes. He gets angry quickly, and he hardly makes a decision on his own. Uh, but I wonder how they did in, in the other, how news is in the other provinces when he heard about this. And whenever he heard about this, guess what he did? First of all, he went and he shared with Esther the news. And he then asked her, is there anything else you want? Oh. I mean, 500's dead. You guys have been allowed to defend yourself is there anything else that you would want is there anything else you would like done in addition to me already having Haman hung his sons now are slaughtered 500 in Shushan that we know of are killed we don't know all the results yet from the other cities and towns in the, the other 126 provinces but is there anything else that 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 could be done for you and so Esther's request I mean it's like I don't know what it's like it's like being given a blank check and so Esther's request is this, in verse number 13, that she wants the Jews to be able to do the same thing in Shushan, she denotes Shushan tomorrow. She says in verse 13, according to this day's decree. In other words, tomorrow I want the Jews to be able to defend themselves just like they defended themselves today on day number two it wasn't a part of the original decree but she's asking for something else he asked and she's saying what she would like so on the second day whenever there were 300 that was slaughtered in Shushan there must have been at least 300 that sought to attack them but they defended themselves and in addition to having that extra day that extra day, just like the first day decree, she also wants those ten sons of Haman to be hung on the gallows. She wants them to be made a public example before all the people. Now, listen to me. The Jews had defended themselves tremendously on the first day. Again, we have no record of loss of any Jewish life. So they're pretty successful. 
And of all the things, listen, you're given a blank check from King Ahasuerus being queen. Of all the things that she could have asked for, she asked for another day like today. If I say it like this, she was asking for another day of victory. If I could term it like this, King, just give me one more day. Just one more day of victory. How many of us has ever been in that position? Huh? Surely someone has been in that position tonight where it seemed like that particular day all the planets just lined up. It's just like everything fell into place just like it needed to. Everything went the way it should have went, you know, and it's like in the back of your mind, it's like I wouldn't, rem- I wouldn't mind reliving this day. I mean, most days I wouldn't get, say, give me another day like that, okay? But this day, today has been exceptional. This has been above and beyond. Just, just, just give me another day, amen. And so a day of victory, amen, for Esther was when all the odds were stacked against her and her people, they were victorious. And in moments like that, when the odds are stacked against you, yet you come out, amen, and you're with your glitting gun and, and you know, your sword is burnished and all of that. You want another day like that. And so Esther's saying, just give me another day like that. Just give me one more day. I'm, I'm telling you, I believe there can become an appetite in God's people that whenever we get victorious, we can say unto the heavens, Lord, just give me one more day of victory. Give me one more day. I mean, if just... Just one more day like that. I mean, this isn't really the only time that we've seen this idea of wanting to continue in a successful war or wanting to continue, amen, in a victorious path. The Bible says in Joshua 10 and verse number 12, Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of the Lord, Son, stand Thou still, and we understand Joshua wasn't necessarily an astronomer that, you know, it's the earth that moves, not the sun, but nonetheless, we understand what he's meaning. Sun stand thou still upon Gibeah, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the people had avenged, look at this, avenged themselves upon their enemies. Really what Joshua was saying in his day was the same thing that Esther was asking for in her day. You know what Joshua was saying? Give me, just give me some more time in this victory. Give me some more time in the success of this battle. Give me some more time to overpower what's been trying to conquer me and oppress me. I could probably preach a sermon just on give me one more day of victory. But that needs to arise in our spirit. If Sunday night was victorious for you and you felt joy, on Monday you should have said, Lord, just give me one more day. On Tuesday you said, just give me one more day. Today you should have woke up and said, just give me one more day. Because that felt kind of good. That there... Uh-huh. Just give me one more, just one more day a victory, and the Bible says it was given to her. The next day they were able to do as they had done on the first day. It was given to her. For Joshua, it was a lengthened day, right? He asked basically for time to be paused. Amen. He, it was a lengthened day. And the Bible says, you look at it in verse 13 of Joshua uh, 10 and 13, that it equated to about a whole day, the Bible says. 
And so he's asking for a lengthened day, or a lengthened day meaning another day within one, so that he could avenge themselves upon their enemies, upon the Amorites. He just wanted one more day of victory. Amen. Now, Esther, and I'm trying to track here with time, and so for the sake of time, I'm probably going to um, not read every verse, okay? And so if you read verses 15 through 19, I'm not going to read them, but I can tell you what's contained in them, uh, the tops of the trees of what I would deem is ultimately important. In Esther 9, 15 through 19, is then the, the, the story about what happens on this particular day and when it happened and how many of it happened. In essence, you had the fighters in Shushan and you had the fighters in all the other provinces, all right? In Shushan, of course, was what Esther asked to be given another day of battle in Shushan, not the other provinces. So the only day that there was fighting a second day was in Shushan not the other provinces. And so on this 13th of the month in Shushan, 500 was lost. On the 14th, that second day that, uh, that Esther asked for in Shushan, 300 people were lost. And please note that in verses 12 and 15 where it mentions these people being lost, it says there were 500 men or there were 300 men. They were given the okay of the slaughtering of men and women and children. But what's recorded for us seems to be men only that fell in this slaughtering. Nonetheless, the Bible tells us in the other provinces on the 13th of the 12th month that 75,000 people lost their lives in these other 126 provinces. 75,000 people, verse 16, bears that out. But then on the 14th in all the other provinces, these Jews, they take rest from their enemies, because the decree was only for one day in all the other provinces, they took rest from their enemies, and the Bible says that they made it a day of feasting and gladness, and there was, they were sending portions, some even label it as, as food, others presents to one another on the 14th day. So in all the other provinces, they're already resting, they're already rejoicing, while Shushan's still fighting on the 14th day because Esther wanted one more day of victory. And so they're still fighting, and so their day of rest doesn't come till the 15th day, all right? So on the 15th day, then those in Shushan, they rest, and the Bible says they made it a day of feasting and gladness as well. So do you see what's taking place in these verses? So we have fighting on the first day in both places, fighting on the second day only in Shushan. The other places are resting and already rejoicing. Then on the third day, all of the rejoicing and the resting is taking place in Shushan. That's how everything divided up. For that matter, that's the reason why Purim is celebrated on two days because of the two rest days, one in all the other provinces and the one that happened in Shushan were on two different days. And so that's the reason why the celebration is those two days. Now here's something I want to point out to you in verses 10 and 15 and 16. When it talks about them slaying these people, defending themselves, slaying these people, the Bible makes a point in all these three verses, 10, 15, and 16, the Bible says that they took no prey or they didn't take any spoils or they didn't plunder the people. Again, this was something, according to the writing of Mordecai, that was permitted, that they would be able to take the prey. 
But these Jews are looking at the big picture here. They didn't want to take any chances. They didn't want to take any spoil. Because remember, their arch enemy in all this that got the ball rolling here in Esther was Haman, the Agagite, who goes all the way back to the days of Saul when he should have slain, utterly destroyed all the Amalekites and the King Agag, which prominently is where Haman came from, when he should have taken care of all that and not kept any spoil in that day. But the Bible tells us that Samuel comes with the bleeding of the lamb and he's, he, I've kept the best for God. And Yeah, remember, God's best and the world's best are not on the same level. But they, all this took place back then. And so the Jews are taking a full panoramic view, right, of their life and their nation as Jews in mind. We're not going to take any spoil because the last time spoil was taken from someone of a line of an Amalekite, our king lost his kingdom. Huh? The decree from Mordecai said, it's okay. But what God spoke all the way back in, Saul's, in the book of Samuel was a command of the Lord for them to annihilate the Amalekites and to take no spoil. And so they would much rather lean upon the command of God than the edict of a man. So we're not going to do this. For that matter, this whole battle, we talked about it a little bit last week, really falls under the umbrella of a holy war. These people are really not fighting their battle. They're fighting the Lord's battles. This is his battle. And this is a holy war. And anytime you have such a war in the scripture, guess who the spoils belong to? They belong to God. That's the reason why the first, whenever they first went into uh, Jericho and they marched around the walls and the walls fell down, there were certain things like the gold and the silver and things they were not to partake of. They called them the accursed thing. Weren't supposed to take that because that belonged into God. This was a holy war. This was a war for the Lord. That belonged unto God. And what happens? Achan goes in, takes a Babylonian garment, a wedge of gold, and some shekels of silver, and he and his household are slain for that. Why? Because they took what belonged to God as their own. And so, again, this is a holy war. And so they're saying, we're not taking anything because any spoil that's here, any plunders, really, that belongs unto the Lord. That belongs unto him because this isn't really so much our battle as much as it is his, right? And we just happen to be soldiers in his army, amen, so to speak. And so when we come to Esther chapter number 9 and verse number 20, and so that in essence is verses 15 through 19. Look, look at verse number 20 where we at. I'll read this, okay? I don't want you to think that I'm not in the word. And Mordecai wrote these things. And so what happens here, he basically just recorded everything that had just occurred, right? Everything that just happened. Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king of Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly. These are the two days in which the people celebrated, whether they were out in the provinces or in Shushan. These are these two days. As the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy. Why? Because they, was, they, was, they had the death sentence on their life, but now they could defend themselves. And from morning to a good day that they should make them days of feasting and joy and the sending of portions one to another and gifts to the poor. He's just recording what really took place 
and making it, let's do this every year as a decree. Let's celebrate every year. And the Jews undertook to do so as they had begun. That's important. And as Mordecai had written unto them, because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had devised against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, the lot, to consume them and to destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letters that his wicked device, which he devised against the Jews, should return upon his own head and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Verse 26, wherefore they called these days... Purim, Purim, we say in English, Hebrew is Purim. After the name of Pur, Pur, therefore all the words of this letter and of that which they had seen concerning this matter and which had come unto them. We're getting there. I'm going to go to verse 28. The Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all and upon all such as joined themselves unto them so as it should not fail that they would keep these two days according to their right and according to their appointed time every year and that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation, every family, every province, every... You get each and single one of them, right? Every city that these days of Purim should not fail from among the Jews, nor the memorial of them perish from their seed. So Mordecai, he's basically recorded what has taken place. And he sent it then to all these 127 provinces and says, let's do this yearly. Here's something that I want you to, to, to note in verse 17 and verse 18. I know that wasn't in what I just read, but just stay with me. In verse 17 and verse 18, we're talking about those that were in Shushan and those that were in the other provinces in these two verses, about them celebrating after their victory. If you'll note in verse number 17, and I'm just going to read a little snippet phrase out of there, on the 14th day of the same rested they, the Jews, and made it a day of feasting and gladness. So whenever they secured victory, the next day, they, the Jews, they rested, they celebrated, it was feasting. No one told them to. It was a response to their victory. Whew. On the 18th verse, on the 15th day, so now we're talking about the people in Shushan, look, of the same day, the Jews rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Again, no one's telling them to but they are glad and feasting and rejoicing as a result of their victory. So Mordecai records what happens, right, on these two days. He notes, and this is important, as he's looking back on this, as he's doing the writing, he's not so much talking about the fighting. He's not talking about, oh boy, they slaughtered him. No. What's he talking about? He's talking about their celebration. He's not talking about the lives lost. He's talking about their rest from their enemy. He's talking about their celebration. He doesn't concentrate on the fighting. He concentrates on the celebration. Amen. He doesn't concentrate on the slain. He focuses on the rest. He focuses on the idea that celebration followed victory. Because why? Because it's never enough just to win a victory. Victories must be celebrated. Hmm? It, sometimes we've went from maybe victory to victory and never paused to celebrate. 
It's important for someone that has had an alteration conversion in their life from sin to God that when that victory is secured, we don't need to run along on our merrily way. We need to celebrate the victory. When someone is healed or a prognosis has come and it's changed between the first time they went to the doctor and the second time they went to the doctor, we need to stop and we need to celebrate because it's not just about the victory itself. It's about being able to celebrate, being alive, being able to participate. If I had not survived, I wouldn't be able to celebrate. But since I did survive, I'm going to wave a hand. I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to get somewhat beside myself excited. Because had it not been the Lord on my side, saith Israel, huh? I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't have made it. And so they must be celebrated. Victories are meant to be celebrated. What, what happens in the very next chapter after the grand deliverance of the children of Israel from Egypt? Yeah, they go out with a high hand, the Bible says, but they come to a Red Sea. It's impassable in every direction. The Egyptians are on their tail, breathing down their neck. But Moses holds up the staff of the Lord and puts his hand out. And all night, an east wind blew upon the waters and made it dry so that he and the children of Israel could pass through. And as they got through the Jordan, went from the east side to the west side. Then the army of the Egyptians got in there. The waters came together and it drowned all them. What is the first thing that you see in the next chapter? Amen. We don't have one out here, but old Miriam, amen, the sister of Moses, she grabs her tambourine and she puts on her dancing shoes and she starts singing a song. Why? Because they were victorious and Miriam knew every victory deserves a celebration. And so I'm going to dance. I'm going to make some noise. I'm going to shout because the Lord has triumphed over our enemy. They are dead in the bottom of the sea. I, honey, if it's been a while since you celebrated over a victory the Lord has put in your life, it's time to not just count the victories. You need to celebrate. Get your tambourine out. Get your dance on. Raise your voice. You have... Woo! Amen. What happens? This is, this is almost a theme in the thumbprint of Scripture. What happens after Logan... J.L. with that tent peg slaps that thing down in the temple of Sisera. Impression that they have had from him for years. What happens in the next chapter? Deborah, who was the deliverer, the prophetess of that day, you know what it says? That Deborah began to sing a song. Why? We've been oppressed for years by him. He had 900 chariots of iron that we couldn't come up against. But one little lady, amen, with a tent peg put his head to the ground. That's a victory. That's cause for celebration. I got a new song to sing. And you can't get a new song unless the Lord's redeemed you from something. Amen. She says, I got reason to celebrate. Amen. She says, I'm going to praise the Lord for, this is what, she says, I'm, Deborah says, I'm going to praise the Lord for avenging Israel. Now, I know in Esther, no one mentions the Lord. In their celebration, they're not making praise and adorations that we have recorded in Scripture to God. But this has been the tempo and the way that Esther has been written without him being mentioned. Silent and everything. 
but we as students of God know very well where the praise and the glory belongs. It goes. It goes to God. Mordecai thought, I gotta run. Mordecai thought they should memorialize the 14th and the 15th because that's when the Jews rested from their enemies. It's interesting because he didn't, make it, he didn't make it the 13th and the 14th when they were fighting. The 14th, yes, for those other provinces, the 15th for those in Shushan. But he, he wants to memorialize the days that they rested from their enemies because the Feast of Purim or Purim, the Jews still yet celebrate today, is really based upon this. It's based on the spontaneous, that's important, the spontaneous response the Jews had for celebrating their deliverance. Not prompted, but this, something just clicked like, we need to celebrate. It just happened. The Bible says in Esther 9 and verse number 23, look at this. And the Jews undertook to do, after Mordecai wrote all this, Recording it says we need to do this annually and the Jews undertook to do as they had begun. In other words, we celebrated with spontaneity before and we're going to continue to do so. <laughs> we're going to continue to do so. Now, now, now again, Purim is honoring the Jews' rest, their sorrow being turned into joy, days of feasting, sending portions, the Bible says to one another, making sure gifts are given to the poor. It was a time of great joy. And this maybe only hits me because of the season that we're in, but it sounds real familiar to our Christmas almost. Gifts are being given to the poor, as well exchanging of portions between one another. Puts me in mind of our Christmas holiday almost. And Purim is the, of course, celebration of this grand reversal, right? Of a grand reversal that takes place in their life. In many ways, Christmas is too, because of that babe born in Bethlehem is spoken of in the epistles as the last Adam. Some call him the second Adam. He's the reversal of the first Adam that was in the garden. The first Adam, which the Bible says everyone died, but in the second Adam, everybody that would be in Christ lives. So, neither here nor there, come by uh, O Holy Night, okay? <sighs> Verse number 26, look at this again now, and this is important to point out. Wherefore, they called these days Purim or Purim after the name of Pur. Look in verse 24, because the Bible says that whenever Haman devised all this, that Haman was the one that had cast Pur, or cast, which Pur is a lot, that is the lot to consume them and to destroy them. Pur comes from an old Babylonian word which means a lot meaning just L-O-T, lot, okay? A lot, you get it? Okay, never mind. I'm just trying to make sure I'm not losing somewhere along the way here. So he cast pur. That's a lot. But they call this purim or purim. The scripture explains one lot was cast. One lot was cast. But they name it in the plural form. Purim is lots, it's plural Purim. One lot was cast to consume them, destroy them. One lot was cast, and yet these days of celebration are plural. Lots. Lots. The only thing that we can lean on concerning this 
is the wise man of Proverbs speaking concerning the Lord. In Proverbs 16.33, the Bible says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Human nature, you and I, in the literal world, a lot was cast. But the whole disposing of is always of the Lord. We've seen one lot. But if you could see the other lot that was cast in heaven at the same time, one said they're going to die. Heaven's lot said they're going to live. One said on the 13th of the 12th month, we're wiping them out. The disposing of the Lord, the plan of the righteous one, had another lot. Ladies and gentlemen, that's my, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it for Purim. In earth, there was one lot cast, but there were two lots cast that day. The full disposing thereof was God's lot that intended to deliver his people from what was planned to destroy his people. God always has another lot. God always, whether, whether, he, whether he enacts that one, there's always another lot. Whether he includes that in your story, there's always another lot. Amen. And so there's another lot of purr. And so this handiwork, this disposal of is the Lord. Amen. And so the enemy had a plan, but God had a land. I mean, look how the tables have turned. I'll be wrapping up quick, quick, quick. I'm trying. Soon, quick, soon, soon, soon. So the Jews celebrate these, these two days every year. They should be remembered. Their memorial should not perish. Verse 28 says their memorial should not perish, right? And what, what, what's, you know, uh, memorials that we still have today, you walk up to them, right? These memorials, you stand there. What do you do? You reflect. Hmm? That's what we do. Holidays that we have, things that we have that are memorial, like Memorial Day or even memorials, actual memorials that are, you go to Washington, D.C., they're everywhere. There's memorials and monuments, and it's places where you reflect because they give significance to where, about where we are today. But you can only have that significance if you cast your eyes backward and have a perspective on the past. Oh, what's the big deal? Purim, woohoo! they should have died, but they're alive. We need to pause the memorial because it'll give significance on the day. What significance is that? Well, if all the Jews were slaughtered, then think for a moment. If there were no Jews, there'd probably been no church. I'm just talking just real literal here for a moment because it's from the Jews that we get our scriptures. It was oral tradition before it was ever written tradition, and it was passed through them. Your Savior, Christ Jesus, was a Jew. Huh? He, he died on a Jewish holiday, Passover. He resurrected on the first day of the Feast of First Fruits, Jewish Passover. He sent his spirit on the day of Pentecost, Jewish holiday. If you didn't have the, the body of Jews, so yeah, it's significant to memorialize and to consider. Amen. Let's run. Everybody ready to run? Someone take a lap. All right. Esther chapter 9, verse number 29. 
Sometimes you just want to put your feet in the mud a little bit and let it soak, but we got to go. Then Esther the queen, verse 29 of chapter 9, then Esther the queen, the daughter of Abihel and Mordecai the Jew, wrote, all, wrote with all authority to confirm the second letter of Purim. So basically, Mordecai wrote, now Esther comes along jointly with him, and she writes to ratify and confirm what he wrote. That's the reason why I didn't read every single verse. All right? And he sent the letters to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Hazarus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim in their times appointed according as Mordecai the Jew and Esther the queen had enjoined them. And as they had decreed for themselves and for their seed the matters of the fastings and their cry. And the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and it was written in the book, verse, or chapter 10, verse 1. And the king of Hazarus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea and all the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai wherein to the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of the media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto king Ahasuerus and great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Now again, verses 29 through 32, this is my statement. Esther basically ratified and confirmed exactly what Mordecai had wrote concerning solidifying the celebration of Purim. They called it the second letter. She comes to ratify it to all 127 provinces that are in Persia. And the Bible tells us basically that Mordecai is appreciated. He's appreciated by the people. The Bible tells us that he takes care of his own, which is a stark contrast to his predecessor, who was often looking out for himself rather than other people. So Mordecai used his position to serve the king and the people. And then the Bible says, and stand with me, we're wrapping up, folks. We're landing the plane where the wheels are down. I feel a little turbulence, but we might make it. Ahasuerus taxed the land. I mean, we got, I mean, you're, I mean, you're coming, everything's like getting nicely tied up and all these little things, and then they throw stuff like this right at the end. I mean, what's the deal with this? I mean, I don't write off hand really know who the author of Esther was, but I'd like to have a conversation with her. Something was Mordecai and others say otherwise, but when you just go throw in there, King Hazarus attacks the land and the isles. Well, you know, for one, he, he never got the handsome sum of money he should have got from Haman for the slaughter of the Jews, right? But he's taxing the people. And again, maybe it's the holiday that's pressing on me, but... This makes me think of another future reversal being that Ahasuerus taxed the land because this has, been, this has been the way of mankind and rulers for ages. Egypt taxed their people. Babylon taxed their people. Ahasuerus Persia taxed their people. The Greeks taxed their people. Rome taxed their people. In so much the Bible records in Luke 2 and 1 that Caesar Augustus decreed that all the world should be taxed. And that drove a Mary and a Joseph to Bethlehem to their native land in order for prophecy of Micah to be fulfilled that one of the throne of David would be born, even Christ the Lord, I'm not telling you 
That's the reason why that's in verse number 10. But I'm telling you for Paul McGee for this week, I believe that's exactly why it's there. The taxation has been there from Egypt to Babylon to Persia to Greek to Rome. But the very taxation pointing toward another great reversal that was coming through a child, Christ Jesus. It, I'm just saying perhaps he was just tipping this off to another, another famous reversal. Esther was great. Amen. But there was another reversal that would save people from their sins. Christ the Lord. Oh, how the tables have turned. And they still are turned today. It's been witnessed in your own life. How the tables have turned for you. And those that are sitting before. And if he did it before, the old song used to say, he can do it again, friend. He can do it again. Folks, that's 12, that's 12 lessons of Esther right there. Close the book on it. Next week, we'll come in here for candlelight service. Please come. It's always one of our favorite times of year. Amen. And services on a Wednesday. So please come next week. Pray for the voices of those that will be participating in that. God will keep them strong and safe and healthy. Amen. Let's just pray right now. God, I come to you tonight. I'm thankful, Lord, for your goodness. I'm thankful, God. I'm asking, Lord, tonight for another day of victory. I'm asking tonight, God, for another day of victory. I'm asking, oh, Lord Jesus, for maybe some tables that have not yet turned, Lord Jesus, that there would be, Lord, the, the, the starting of the rotation, Lord Jesus, of them. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, we want the lot of heaven, Lord, to come to bear, Lord, upon our life. We know, Lord, what earth, Lord, has, Lord, put up, God, what it has given, Lord, its consumption, its destruction, but, God, we want the lot of heaven, God, to speak into our life. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, be of your people, God, bring strength, Lord Jesus, to them. Heal, Lord, those that are still in need of it. God, I pray, Lord, protect the rest and will not fail to thank you and praise you for it. God, we're going to go away from here. We're going to remember to celebrate the victories, Lord, that happened in our life and give pause to that. In the name of Jesus Christ that we pray and the church say amen. 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 God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.